This is the Actors Room. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about Sir Lawrence Olivier. Episode number 13. Here we go. game of make-believe. I mean, uh, originally, it's just like a nursery game of make-believe. In a way, the essence of it is that. I'm going to pretend I'm a fellow called Hamlet. I'm going to pretend I'm a fellow called King Lear. Le- Lear is... Uh, I'm sorry, it's regrettably easy for me because now, in my crusty old age, I'm almost exactly like him. I haven't the majesty, of course, but I, I have every other characteristic of Lear. Unreasonable, impossible, stupid, stubborn, and I'm sorry, that's me. In uh, Hamlet's time, I was much more like Hamlet. I had all those qualities, all the weaknesses, particularly, and I think if you can recognize, I think that's a little secret for the actor. Use your weaknesses. Aspire to the strength. There are these people who say, you know, Lord Olivier is just a uh, peerage. If only he didn't. No, they just say, he's really one of the boys. He loves to take a drink and he's yeah. got some barroom language. I'm afraid the last is true. When you were awarded a doctor of uh, humane letters, Noel Coward said four letters. Yes. Yes, Doctor of Ordinary Letters it was, and he said four letters, I presume. Yeah, sorry about that. Would you do anything over? I don't think so. One, is it, um, H.G. Wells had a wonderful line to somebody who asked him that. Do you believe in another life, Mr. Wells? And he said, he had a little thin, rather thin voice. He said, no, thank you. One life's quite enough, a little old H.G. Well, I think one feels like that. To start off the show, here are a few quotes from Sir Lawrence Olivier. The actor should be able to create the universe in the palm of his hand. I should be soaring away with my head tilted slightly towards the gods feeding on the caviar of Shakespeare. An actor must act. Living is strife and torment, disappointment and love and sacrifice, golden sunsets and black storms. I said that some time ago, and today I do not think I would add one word. So those are a few quotes from uh, Olivier. Give you a little insight on him just right off the bat, and I'm going into this episode sort of, I don't know, heavy-hearted in a way, because I'm just guessing that most of the audience that listens to this podcast is not really going to give a shit about Laurence Olivier. They're going to go, who? Or, yeah, I've heard of that guy, that uh, Shakespearean actor guy, or I've heard of his name. He's an older actor. I really don't know anything about him, and I really don't care. But you know what? He is important because I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I think he's the second greatest actor ever behind Marlon Brando. And that's saying something to me. He's an important person to know about, to study, to watch his films. He is very interesting He brings something that, this is before Brando's time. He was known probably as the, they they say he's the best English-speaking actor of all time. And that should be talked about. So although there may be a large amount of the audience that will maybe see this episode on the list, this is number 13, an unlucky number, but not for Laurence Olivier. This is going to be a good number. But like I said, Uh, You're looking at my show, 
say, and and you see episode number thirteen, Lawrence Olivia. I think most people are gonna be uh, why even bother. I hope and pray that someone does click on this episode and is somewhat interested or intrigued and say, Lawrence Olivier, you know what? I want to, I want to know more about this guy. I've heard of him, but I'd like to know more. So I hope this episode can do that for you. Although it may not be a very popular episode, I believe that it's an important episode. So I hope you enjoy the show. This is going to be an important episode of this podcast. Laurence Olivier is widely considered the greatest actor of the English-speaking language. I remember taking a film history class at Cleveland State University. My professor was asked a question from one of my classmates about who she felt was the best actor in the history of film and stage. And she said there were only two people that entered her mind to answer that question. Marlon Brando and Laurence Olivier. And it is quite amazing how that stuck in my memory because I had never really given that much thought at that age. I was probably around 17 at that time. And I never really thought about it. I watched movies, yes. I enjoyed them. And then end of story. I kind of just moved on with my life. Never really thought about it. Um... I never really felt the need to consider who may be the very best in the art form of anything, uh, let alone acting. But Olivier had always been one of those performers that intrigued me. And when I was exposed to studying Shakespeare, I soon realized that actors that take on that complicated and poetic text are truly talented. Not only talented, but willing to do something so artistic so stimulating, and above all else, brave. Now, I read Shakespeare, and I struggle to comprehend its meaning. All I hear is poetry. It's beautiful, but difficult to understand for most people. And I'm one of those people. Laurence Olivier is classified as the greatest Shakespearean actor of all time. And for me, that is important. To master something like Shakespeare is difficult, and it takes a great deal of patience and practice. I am looking forward to discussing Sir Laurence Olivier with you, and here it goes. Mr. Olivier was a classically trained actor. And this is a stark distinction in regards to all of the actors that I have highlighted already. Larry comes from a different time, you have to remember. He was taught... To work a certain way in the theater. You acted. You got loud. Shit like that. You showed emotion on your sleeve. Olivier believed acting was just that. Acting. And there's no doubt in my mind that he was the best actor ever that created moments from the outside. In. As opposed to a method actor, right, from the actor's studio who worked from the inside out. A method actor's performance will change drastically from performance to performance if they're doing it correctly. They are encouraged to follow their natural instincts. So an example may be that an actor on any given day is sad or in a bad mood. Okay. Now it's very possible for this actor to use that in his or her role. So if you're in a bad mood one day, it's almost encouraged to use that bad mood in your work to make it more authentic. Things happen organically and help to produce a nice performance. Larry Olivier, he wasn't taught that way. It was completely different back then. When he was taught to be engulfed with the written text, study it. Conduct thorough research, do your homework, and then do the role. He also used makeup and costume to create a character. I really believe that someone like Laurence Olivier considered his makeup and costume and his whole getup very important in his acting. And that right there is a great example of someone working from the outside 
in. Now, a nice story came from an interview um, that I found out about uh, with Joan Plowright. And now, Joan Plowright was one of the wives of Laurence Olivier. They had a pretty big age gap. I think he was much older than she was. Uh, They acted alongside one another in the film called The Entertainer, which I'm going to get to later on. A great film. I guess Olivier and Joan went to see a play and noticed one of the well-known actors didn't give a notable emotion during one of their scenes. Well, Larry found this to be very curious. So, he went to have a word with this actor after the show. Larry asked the actor why he didn't display the emotion that he was supposed to, and the method actor said that he didn't feel it. I just didn't have that emotion at that certain time, and I didn't want to lie to the audience. Larry stared blankly ahead and replied back, Well, how is that different from what you've been doing all night? You know, lying to the audience. (laughs) It just makes sense, doesn't it? When you think of it that way. I mean, here you have these method actors that have their method and it works for them. And they reach a certain point in a performance where they're supposed to go for broke, so to speak, with a very emotional moment. And if they don't feel it, so to speak, they're not going to give it their all or show that because it would be fake. And the audience wouldn't get it, right? But Olivier felt that um, you're up there on stage, not you. You're playing another character. You're playing another emotion, hopefully pretty truthfully to the text. But you know what? You've been lying all night. Keep lying. Hopefully you'll do a good job. (laughs) So He felt that part of acting to be quite silly. And I think as long as you gave a nice performance, he really didn't care how you got it. The point is, actors live truthfully under given imaginary circumstances. And it's as simple as that. Lawrence Kerr Olivier was born into a generation that started just after the turn of the century. It was a lucky generation. This generation was too young to have their lives destroyed by the First World War and too old to participate in the Second. It was Olivier's generation that enjoyed the new freedoms of the 1920s and flourished in the revival of the theater. He was born... On May 22nd, 1907, at 26 Wathen Road, Dorking, Surrey. The Great War started when he was seven and ended when he was 11. His father's name was Gerard, and he was a priest. And in jet, well, I don't know how, how to say this word. I'm probably going to say it wrong and sound like a moron, but I'm going to do the best I can. Here it goes. Angelican. I think that was pretty close. An Agilican priest. And he was also a former schoolmaster. Gerard, his father, had a loud and resonant voice, and he conducted many famous sermons. He was rigid with his opinions and was the master in his own home. His father loved the whole romance and essence of Christian traditions. And you would see him strutting majestically, in sweeping robes. Larry is the youngest of three children, and when he was three, the family moved to Notting Hill, West London. They didn't stay there for long as Gerard found a new parish in South London, so the family moved again. Uh, The family grew up somewhat poor, but not too poor. The way Gerard ran the family, you would have thought they were poor, though. Uh, They were prone to portion out toilet paper. Now that sucks. And also how much water each of them could bathe in. Olivier recalls always washing in dirty, tepid bath water. Mmm. Now that's feeling fresh, isn't it? Um, and although Larry earned a great deal of money in his lifetime, he seemed to inherit his father's frugal ways. Olivier would be adamant in his own uh, memoirs of how he gave sideway glances at the unacceptable high cost of living. Larry was not close to his father, and he explains that he was a domineering man 
and he was often very afraid of him. And here we go. This is just a dominant theme in the lives of actors, isn't it? I'm finding all of this research I'm doing on these people. I don't think any of them got along with their fathers. A, their fathers were just strict, unloving. Uh, They just weren't available emotionally, maybe. Or they weren't even in the picture. Right? Interesting. I think we're on a roll here. As I continue to do episodes on actors and actresses, I'm really going to start paying attention to that now. And I'm also going to make it very noteworthy that the next actor that I highlight that actually got along with their father, I'm going to try and make a point of that. And I think it'll stick out pretty good because so far, I don't think anybody has got along with their father. So that's a very interesting point. And I just realized it this very second. All right. Maybe his father was incapable of love. Or maybe it was just a sign of the times. And fathers in middle class families back then thought that keeping your distance from the children was the right thing to do. I think that's the stupid thing to do, but hey, back then, I don't know. I just think uh, everybody has common sense. I don't care what time period you live in. I think uh, either you're a good father or you're not. Uh, These excuses, I'm sorry. I just don't get, well, maybe it was just, uh, you know, the time period. Or maybe it's just the way of life they had. No, you know what? Bullshit. I call A1 bull fucking shit. You're a human being. You have a kid. Either you love them or you don't. Am I right? I mean, isn't that what it all boils down to when you think about it? You're a human being. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care how you were raised. You know what? You know what? If you have the responsibility of having a child, you should show as much love to it as you can. You know, maybe some people just aren't incapable. They're just not capable of love. Or they just no, that's, that's stupid. That's wrong. I think everybody is. I think that some people just have a hard way of showing it. But nonetheless, Lawrence Olivier speaks very highly with great love about his mother, Agnes. Larry loved her very much. He actually adored her. Some say that he had the utmost respect for her, that his later relationships with women were affected because he compared them often to his mother. No woman could compare. Friends of Agnes have stated that she was a dark, lively, and competent woman. Larry's sisters has said this. Here's a quote from one of Larry's sisters. Quote, she was the most enchanting person. Hair so long, she could sit on it. She absolutely made our childhood. Always saw the funny side in everything, and she adored Larry. He was hers. End of quote. Even when she disciplined him by swatting him on his bare ass with a brush. (laughs) I'm sorry. He was... (laughs) I'm sorry. That image. uh, Beating a kid bare ass with a brush. I don't know. That's just weird. Anyways. He was sure it hurt her more than it hurt him. Uh, I find that hard to believe. Okay. I'm sure it hurt him more. When, uh, when she died, it crushed Larry. Her death was the greatest tragedy of his life. One of the very last things she said to him was this. She said, Darling Larry, no matter what your father says, be an actor. Be a great actor for me. And that's the end of the quote. Larry also felt that he was the third wheel among the children in the eyes of his father. His father had a daughter and then a son. And then they had Larry. Ouch. Ooh. And if he actually felt that way, man, that's got to suck. That's... uh, All right. At 13, Larry attended St. Edward's in Oxford in 1920. And he was miserable there. He only excelled in choir and theater. And also was referred to from the other boys in, in school as, quote, the sighty little Oliver. <laughs> Not Oliver, sorry. The other boys in class. Oh, that's so mean. I'm sorry. I said his name wrong and I laughed. I'm not laughing about him getting picked on. You know how I feel about that. I laughed because I said Oliver. And 
You know, it looks like Oliver. When you see his name, it's Olivier. But they called him that sighty little Olivier. He was a pretty boy, and he was picked on by other classmates and was singled out by one of his school masters for frequent sadistic punishments. Olivier would say, quote, With my trousers down, I was made to bend over, and he laid into my bare flesh until my screams reached across the courtyard. Quote ended. Jesus. You know, I grew up in the 80s. All right. And I probably just missed that where they started to get rid of that whole beating out kids in school. You know, when kids acted up, like when my parents went to school, they got hit if they did something wrong. They brought them up in front of the front of the class and pretty much told them to bend over and they beat their ass in front of everybody. I couldn't imagine being in class and seeing one of my, and I got to tell you, I got to tell you folks, there were a few kids in my class that fucking needed it because I guarantee you they were not getting it at home. I guess Larry over here got it a little too far. This, this schoolmaster was hitting him probably for no reason. And I, this, this school teacher actually eventually ended up getting fired. Thank God. Okay, I have to mention this about Laurence Olivier. When I did my research, I discovered that Olivier was a fantastic liar. He lied often in his early life and would get punished accordingly when caught in a lie. But it is often stated that some of the finest actors are terrific liars. And he found himself to be pretty damn good at it. He did it to get away with bad behavior or just to manipulate his parents into giving him a treat. His lies were imaginative and were told with such assurance that at first they were believed. This was the first unconscious stage exercise of a boy who was born to be an actor. Olivier had a beautiful singing voice and was in the choir during his childhood. The choir also performed the first half of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and the young Olivier was given the part of Brutus. The legendary actress Ellen Terry saw the performance and wrote in her diary, the small boy who played Brutus is already a great actor. The next two plays he did were Twelfth Night and Taming of the Shrew, in which he played the female role in both productions. How about that? That's weird. And I don't know if they put him in a female role because he was just like the best actor in the room and they thought that he should have the most important roles, whether or not it didn't matter what the gender was. Uh, I guess. That, that would be my guess, but I don't really know. It is said that his experiences playing women roles and making himself feel right in them gave him a manner which seemed to be effeminate. Well, that's going to happen. Uh, you got this young kid, very talented, seems like he could do anything, playing female roles and probably doing them very well, learning how to walk like them, talk like them, react like them. That can mess you up, man, especially at a young age. I mean, you're walking around like a girl. It may rub off on you and just making you become effeminate in that way. And I think this is what happened to Larry. Larry was 13 years old when his mother died. So his father now had to take care of the children on his own. Larry's brother traveled to India to be a rubber farmer, and this fascinated Larry very much. He wanted to go, and as soon as he could. Uh, he pled with his father to let him go to India to follow in his brother's footsteps. But Jared said, don't be silly. You're going to be an actor. Olivier was amazed, and mostly because his father had been paying attention all along. And had seen it clear, clear, and clear, more clear than Lawrence himself. I was amazed that he, a, that he thought things out for me at all, and b, that he'd thought things out that far, uh, and that he'd had the. I secretly knew that he was right; that I ought to be an actor. I think possibly one of the most strongly contributing facts towards such an ambition was my upbringing. The fact is, I think, that. The atmosphere 
of genteel poverty is probably almost the most fertile ground for ambition that there can be, because you simply say, I want to get out. I'm get, going to get out. When I get out of this, I will show them. I will show them. I will show them, without having the faintest idea how you're going to show them, or what you're going to do to show them. So I, I simply had this driving. I'm going to be the, a simply smashing actor. I'm going to be a smashing actor. How probably I... I probably I wanted emotional parts more than any other. Uh, your first important job was at Birmingham, wasn't it, Birmingham? That was a very sought-after thing. That if you were a serious actor, and went, um, there were two types of actors. One very much uh, less than the other. There was the sort of old boy type of actor. Get a jolly good juvenile part, old boy, on the road, old boy, for twelve pounds a week, old boy. That's the life, old chap. And eventually you get forty quid a week, old man. That was the. There was one. Very strong influence in the theatre of going into the theatre for what you get out of it and for the sort of success you make, the sort of clothes you could wear, the sort of golf you could afford to play. I love the way he talked, right? So interesting, the way they, they talk, like that old boy, this old boy, that uh, get a job old boy, make some quill old boy. Uh, he talked about playing golf there at the end. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but seriously, um, Listening to him there, you get a nice glimpse of a man who knew himself very well, I thought. Although he may have lied to other people and did it quite well, I don't think that he ever really lied to himself, if that makes any sense at all. He took hold of acting, and a nice example of this is when he was around 16 years old. He was a bit disheartened about his lack of acceptance among his peers because of his ability to act and sing. So you got to understand... I bring this point up often about being accepted in school. And uh, Laurence Olivier was going through the same thing. And it was tough on him because he was a pretty boy and he was in choir and he was doing theater. And he kind of got picked on because of that. But he was good at it. It was something that he enjoyed doing. Although it didn't make him popular at that time, he still enjoyed it. So I guess what happened was he had to uh, do a performance in Midsummer's Night's Dream. And he played the... The leading role is Puck. He put his soul all into that role. And it proved to be inspirational to some of his classmates. And they realized that he was doing something special up there. And it sort of made him a little bit more popular with his classmates. And that made him happy. So I guess you can say he had turned a corner in acting. So in the summer of 1924... Laurence Olivier moved to London. Poor, yes, but free. Free to learn about the only skill and passion he loved, acting. And his first professional role was that of Shylock in The Merchant of Venice. He wasn't making much money and was so hard up for cash that he was eating a half a sandwich for dinner for some time. Olivier's next big step was joining the Birmingham Repertory Company in 1926. He studied and trained. And trained. And trained. He performed Shakespeare whenever he could. Things were moving fast, and his confidence grew. He used his strong voice, his body, his beauty, all to his advantage. He was grasping the fact that he flourished on the stage. This was his way to make his mark on the world. So he placed all of his heart into being the best actor ever. It seems to me that nearly everything else in his life kind of became secondary. After he realized that, okay, I'm going after this acting thing, and that's good. But people are telling me that I'm really, really good. And there was this chance that he could make his mark in acting, and he placed everything else secondary. Acting was number one. He would end up leaving behind family and friends. He was stubborn, but he had one thing on his mind, perfecting his work. In 1930, he married his first wife, Jill Esmond, and he also found himself earning a contract of $1,000 a week for a two-film deal. His colleagues scoffed at the idea of him joining the Hollywood scene. So I guess it was frowned upon back then for English uh, performers on stage to go ahead and act in front of the camera. How dare he? <laughs> but, but 
It was his decision to perform for the camera that brought him a wider audience and for all of us to see. He performed in films such as The Yellow Passport and uh, that movie he performed alongside Lionel Barrymore. Uh, The other uh, movies were Westward Passage, Perfect Understanding, and Family Business. And the latter two were done in England. In 1935, he acted alongside one of his idols at the time, John Gielgud. And John had seen Larry in productions in the past and was really impressed with him. So he decided to give him the role of Romeo, and of course, Romeo and Juliet. John played Mercutio, and soon they both decided that they would switch their roles just for fun. And the play went on to break all box office records, running for 189 shows. Now that's incredible. But Olivier was not impressed with the critics' response to his performance. Uh, Though they praised him for his acting ability in both parts, they also said his voice was as not as good as John's. And this left a bad taste in his mouth, and he never forgot about this. It would end up putting a split between John and Larry. And they became sort of like rivals, in a sense. And I think that happened a lot in the acting world. Maybe it still happens today, but I think it really happened a lot back then. There were some big egos going on. And if they felt that they were being wronged in any way, and I think Larry really did... He kind of saw John as an enemy, which is really kind of fucked up. But I think that was another way to keep himself sort of motivated. Great word to explain what can be described here, this riff. I really do believe that he found it to be motivating. John's brilliance, okay, in performances that he did early on in Shakespeare gave Larry something to shoot for. So I think they can explain it. Okay, so soon Olivier joined the Old Vic Theater and performed in Hamlet. Once again, critics giving him rave reviews, loving his work, but always second fiddle to John, who did the role years before. He also acted alongside Alec Guinness in Twelfth Night at the Old Vic Theater. Henry V was his next play, and then came a few films called as You Like It, and Fire Over England, which he co-starred with Vivian Lee. Okay, here we go. We're going to get into this part of his life, and sometimes I don't like doing this. Uh, I, I kind of shy away from personal stuff that just might be a little touchy, little, you know, something I don't want to talk about, but I think that this pertains uh, to Larry and who he was and how it played into his life at this time. So, Here we go. Larry fell head over heels for Lee. So much so that he states that he couldn't resist her. Here is a quote from Larry himself about this matter. Quote, I couldn't help myself with Vivian. No man could. I hated myself for cheating on Jill. But then I had cheated before. But this was something different. This wasn't just out of lust. This was love. That I really didn't ask for, but was drawn into. End of quote. Both Larry and Vivian were married at the time and had families of their own. Wives and children they would leave behind to court their relationship. This type of behavior was frowned upon in this day, but they couldn't deny their feelings. Olivier's son would um, also comment years later, and I saw a documentary about this, quite touching. His son was probably around 40, I want to say, during this uh, documentary that I watched. And he speaks pretty openly about this whole thing and says that his father never attempted to be a part of his life, his young life anyway. And that just, it makes me sad. Larry chose his career in Vivian over his family, It's interesting. And digging deeper into this whole thing and researching it, I believe that both Larry and Vivian Lee eventually felt extremely guilty about what they had done. Good. (laughs) Good. I'm sorry, but you know what? I'm glad they felt guilty because they should. 
And you know what I also found out was I think Vivian, more so than Larry, was guilty about this. And let me explain. It seems that Vivian slowly started losing her mind throughout the relationship. And it was shortly after her performance in A Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway with Marlon Brando that really pushed her over the edge. She became erratic and unreliable in her behavior. Man, that is just powerful stuff. Going behind scenes and seeing what what really goes on in these people's lives. And, you know, we think they live such glamorous lives. And they do in a way. But there's a lot of shit that goes on behind closed doors. I guarantee it. And we don't even know, gosh, 5% of probably what went on. I mean, really. All right. Now, let's get into his film career in Hollywood. His first big one was that of Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights in 1939. Here are some tidbits about this from Olivier. I guess he was getting frustrated with the director because he kept reshooting the same scene over and over again. Finally, Larry erupted that he had done the scene sitting down, standing up, scratching my nose, and they'd just been filming all day and from side to side. He filmed them from the side. He, you know, he filmed them from the back in every which way you could. And how many more are we going to do? He was getting pissed. Then the director said, we're going to keep going until you do it better. And Olivier would go on to say years later that this type of directing made him a better actor in the end. And the two leads that were in this production, uh, played by Larry and Merle, was the actress that he played with, detested one another. They would get done doing a romantic scene and then spit. (laughs) They were like kids. The way I see it is like they were kissing each other and being all, yeah, yeah, hot and heavy. I love you. Mm." And then cut. And they would. And I guess Larry also was a spitter just naturally when he gave his lines. And they're like a little spittle coming out of his mouth. And he had no problem whatsoever just spitting on this actress whenever he was giving his lines. And the actress was just getting fed up. Would you please keep your spit in your mouth and all that stuff? So they didn't get along on set, and they both made it pretty clear about that. Uh, Larry had also been suffering from a foot ailment during shooting. And one day, I guess, the producer, Sam Goldwyn, put his arm around him and screamed in his face with everybody around on set at how ugly he was and how his performance was so fake that he may be forced to shut down the picture. Now, I guess this was a ploy constructed by the producer to bring Larry and the director, William Wyler, closer together. And it worked because Wyler quickly came to Larry's defense and supported him during the film. And eventually, Laurence Olivier was nominated for Best Actor. The film Rebecca in 1940 is one of my personal favorites. I just watched it about a week ago. I knew I was going to be doing Larry and I said, what's the one film I want to watch about it? And Rebecca. I just like that movie. It's good stuff, man. Uh, I recommend it very much. Uh, like I said, I watched it the other night. And I just, there's something about his acting in this movie. And it often seems to me that he acts with such confidence that it looks like he has a secret, right? And, and he's taking great pleasure and joy And the fact that he's not revealing it to us. If that makes any sense. That's just the look on his face. It's like he has this secret. It's like come on Larry. Give us a hint you know. What do you you know that I don't? It's just the way he carries himself that I get that impression. And once again nominated for best actor. For Rebecca. The 49th Parallel is a film made in 1941. That's interesting. And just the, the, the respect that you get something different out of Olivier. In this picture. You get a different side of him. He plays a Canadian trapper. Yes you heard me right. He plays a Canadian. And he has this playful spin on it. It was so different. And I just loved it very much. For some reason when I see him. Doing roles like that. It convinces me too. That he was really a good character actor as well. Not just this big Shakespearean actor who does these serious roles and does all the poetry and he's just got a beautiful voice and all that. He's more than that. Uh, That's just a part of him. He is willing and able to do character roles as well. And he just, he has fun acting. He enjoys it. 
That was his life. Then came the film Henry V in 1944. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so base, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here and hold their manhoods cheap, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! Damn, that just makes me want to cheer. Man, that's awesome. And like I said earlier, I'm not a Shakespeare guy. But you cannot deny hearing greatness like that. Am I right? Whether you prefer Shakespeare or not, that's great stuff. Olivier had a few directors in mind to take on the task to do this film but he was actually persuaded by these people to just go ahead and direct it yourself Larry you know that you would just do a fantastic job there's nobody that would do it better than you so he did Larry ended up doing all of his own stunts as well in the film which resulted in him suffering from fractured shoulders that uh, probably hurt a little bit Uh, his old buddy and Enemy and foe and whatever rival you'd like to call him, John, uh, Gilgood requested a part in this film. Olivier offered him a smaller role, and John declined it. <laughs> oh, Larry. You know, it's still bitter after all those years. Uh, I guess this is Charlton Heston's favorite film, and its budget was $2 million, the most expensive film at that time ever done in England. He was once again nominated for an Oscar and went home with an honorary Academy Award for bringing this picture to the screen. So what I get is he was nominated for Best Actor for this film. He didn't win for Best Actor, but it was such an historic achievement, okay, that the Academy gave him an honorary award for just making the film. I think that is probably even a bigger honor than getting the best actor. The Academy's pretty much saying, what you did was so historic, here. Here's an Academy Award. Then came Hamlet. He directed this film as well and states that he was greatly influenced by the directing style of Orson Welles. And I've also heard him say that he has a great deal of respect for Orson Welles and considers Citizen Kane the most revolutionary film ever. It was Olivier's voice as the ghost, and it is often believed that it was John uh, Gielgud, his uh, rival, but it wasn't. I guess Larry had his voice recorded, and uh, they played it in half the time. So it's just like really slow. And that's Olivier's voice. And I also found out through research that his wife at the time, Vivian Lee wanted to be in this production very badly. But Larry decided on another actress. That's rough, man. Your wife wants to be in the movie, and he's like, well, you know what? You're not really right for the part. Sorry, babe. He ended up winning the Academy Award for Best Actor. And Olivier would round out his Shakespeare trio with Richard III. And if you're not familiar with this play and this role, it's weird, man. It's different, and it looks fucking difficult. I get that. I mean, this is the part that the, the character has that hump, and he talks strange, he limps around, and things like that. Well, this is the one that this character is based on. Um, I have walked away thinking that this production leaves me scratching my head. It just does. I just don't get it. I didn't get the performance. Ugh. I much preferred his rendition of Othello. I really did. Now, that was good. Very powerful.
Of note is a film he starred in with Marilyn Monroe called The Prince and the Showgirl in 1957. Olivier directed the film and did not get along with Monroe during shooting. Uh, He was not patient with the beautiful actress when she kept forgetting her lines. And this was something that Monroe was kind of famous for. She wasn't too good on the set. Showing up late, uh, not knowing her lines, things like that. Olivier just, he, he just wasn't buying it. But I want to discuss the film he did in 1960 called The Entertainer. There is some seriously good acting going on here. And he took this role because he felt that he was very much like the character at this time in his life. And it is sort of a creepy character because of how he portrays the man on stage. Uh, The guy he plays is a show performer that concentrates on singing acts. And his rendition is odd and, well, entertaining. But his greatest contribution to the film is this scene right here. See this face? This face can split open with warmth and humanity. It can sing, tell the worst, unfunniest stories in the world to a great mob of dead, drab thugs. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because look. Look at my eyes. I'm dead behind these eyes. I'm dead. Just like the whole damn shoddy lot out there. Nice. You have to watch that scene to really get it. Playing it for you is great, and you get to hear it. But he's drunk in this scene, and he is all over the stage. Uh, He was no method actor, so he was most likely not drunk. But he played it drunk, and he did it perfectly and beautifully. He shows us what he needs to show us, and that is everything. This role was written specifically for Olivier, and he also met his future wife, Joan Plowright, while filming this film. While filming this film. Of course he filmed the film. I hate when I do that. I hope I don't do that a lot. I caught that just then. I hope that's the first time I ever said that. All right. They married a year later and stayed together until Larry's death in 1989, so they were together for a long time. Now, this movie, The Entertainer, was originally done on a stage uh, with Larry winning the Tony Award for this performance. I didn't know that. And doing the research, I found that to be pretty cool. Uh, Good stuff. And a film of note to watch. I really do recommend it. Spartacus was next up, and he was asked to direct it. So I guess what happened was Kirk Douglas was having a hard time uh, getting along with the director, and his name was Anthony Mann. And he was eventually replaced by Stanley Kubrick. But at one point, they asked Olivier to direct it. And he felt it just would have been too much directing and acting in the same film. Olivier and Charles Lawton were longtime enemies, just like their characters were in the film. And uh, Larry was noted as helping Tony Curtis with his um, acting. And then Tony Curtis uh, gave Olivier tips uh, on how to work his body, uh, you know, to get into shape better. But during this time of his life, he was on the verge of breaking up with Vivian Lee. So it wasn't the happiest times for Larry. A film of note is Khartoum. He plays a Middle Easterner called the Mad Maddie. And uh, just listen to this voice. Oh, beloveds, oh, men of the desert, my Lord Muhammad, Blessings and peace be upon him commands me to speak, for I am the Mahdi, the expected one, and I am sprung from the forehead of the family of my Lord Muhammad. Blessings be upon him. Oh, my beloved, did I not promise thee a miracle would fall from heaven from the Prophet Muhammad? And was not this so? <laughs> Fight a holy war against the fat and the corrupt and the sinful and the unbelieving. Ye fight a war to restore to a disobedient, forgetful world the laws and commands of the Prophet Muhammad. Blessings and peace be upon him, whose instrument on earth I am. Exult ye not that men are dead, 
since more must die tomorrow. Oh, my beloved, in a vision the Prophet Muhammad has instructed me, let mountain and desert tremble, let cities shudder, and let the fat and the rich and the corrupt in far places mark this moment and turn in fear of all those miracles to come. And let none in all Islam from this victorious hour believe I am other than the expected one, the true Mahdi. Beloved, it is the hour of prayer. Isn't that something? I mean, you would never know that was him. I, I know I wouldn't. I, this is a very convincing, very, very convincing. Good stuff. Uh, a movie that seems to be very, very hard to find is called The Dance of Death. I tried to see if there was any way I could see some snippets of this movie, but there's nothing out there. Nothing at all. I, I guess it's just a hard one to find, but I'd like to watch it. It seems really interesting. It's called The Dance of Death. I don't know. It just sounds like it would be a good movie. I just have a feeling sometimes about movies. And for some reason, I just think that this would be a good one to watch. So hopefully I find it. Uh, Olivier does a nice job with Chekhov's masterpiece called uh, Three Sisters. Uh, he directed this film and he stars in it. And his wife Joan was in it as well. And it looks like Larry is having a good time on this picture. I, I kind of like this one. It's good. In 1972... You get to see two great performances from Larry and Michael Caine. The film is called Sleuth, and it is way underrated. I think it was appreciated at the time, but it has been, I think, a movie that has kind of been swept under the rug because you get some great performances by those two, Caine and Olivier. Caine was also beside himself to be working with Olivier that he didn't know what to call him. Olivier stated... That he was named Lord Olivier. And you are Mr. Kane. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm Lord Olivier. You're Mr. Kane. Uh, so I guess what happened was. Uh, of course. Uh, he says that listen. My name's Lord Olivier. But you know you're supposed to call me Lord Olivier just one time. And after that guess what. I'm Larry. You're Michael. There you go. Then in 1976. Came Marathon Man. With Dustin Hoffman. This film has a lot going on. On and off the set. Larry was diagnosed with cancer. A short time before the picture started. He was going through treatment. And the picture was filmed. Alongside this agonizing treatment. That he was going through. He was in a lot of pain. And was prescribed strong painkillers. To help him get through the filming. Uh, so it seemed that he was heavily sedated and he took this part because he also felt that he would be dying soon and he wanted to leave some more money to his family. Dustin Hoffman, being the method actor that he was, stayed up late to help with his character. Olivier would see this and ask, why don't you just try acting? It's so much easier. <laughs> this is a great picture. Uh, it's a great performance by Larry. Uh, the good part is that he went into remission shortly after this film and went on to give many more notable performances like Jesus of Nazareth, A Bridge Too Far, The Boys from Brazil, love that film, A Little Romance, that is my wife's favorite film. I actually bought her A Little Romance this anniversary. She's been asking about that movie for years. And, you know, it's never on TV or cable. or We don't really have cable, but we have, like, Netflix and stuff like that. And it's never on there. She's been asking about it for years. I finally bought it for her on uh, uh, DVD. And we haven't watched it yet. I, I think I got it in the mail last week. And we're looking forward to watching that movie. Uh, A Little Romance with Diane Lane. Good movie. Uh, he was also in Dracula, of note. And Clash of the Titans. He plays Zeus. And when I was a kid, I loved Clash of the Titans, and Zeus was a very powerful character. Sir Lawrence was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. Here are the wins. 
He got the honorary award for Henry V, Best Actor in Hamlet, and he received the Lifetime Achievement Award in 1979. His other nominations are Wuthering Heights, Rebecca, Richard III, The Entertainer, Othello, Sleuth, Marathon Man, and The Boys from Brazil. Sir Lawrence Olivier proved that there was acting before and after Marlon Brando. Oh, it's true, though. It's very true. Although it wasn't the same sort of technique, I believe Larry found a way to be a great performer by using his imagination to the fullest extent. And it was his elegance that made him such an intriguing character, one of the greats of all time. And I want to leave you with this as I wrap up uh, Laurence Olivier and this episode number 13 in the actor's room, is that Laurence Olivier adored to act. He loved it so much, and it shows in his work. If you really sit down and watch his films, you will notice that. He is having fun. And it's plain. And I think that's probably what intrigues me about him a lot too. Not only his just impressive resume and all the Shakespeare he did, which is just amazing too. When you think about all the characters he had in his head at one time, doing all these roles, they're not easy roles. All that dialogue, think about it. Pick up a, a, a Shakespeare play. Take a look at it. And uh, go ahead and see how many lines this guy had to memorize. That's not easy text, man. This guy was truly brilliant. Uh, One of the greats of all time. Important to talk about. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Actor's Room. It was an honor talking about Sir Lawrence Olivier. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll learn something. Uh, Once again, very important to talk about my show. I went ahead and found a new hosting site. It took me all week to do it. I did research. I, Like I said, I didn't want to do it half-assed, and I found something that I think is going to help the show. Uh, I chose a hosting site called Lipson. So we're going to see how it goes. So far, so good. Uh, the site's up. Everything, I think, is ready to go. I want to make sure I have everything transferred over because it's such. <laughs> you don't want to do anything wrong, and that would just suck, you know? I don't want any bumps in the road and messing up something. So I think we're, we're good. And everything is under control. I'm ready to go. Put a little money in. I'm going to be promoting everything, like I said. So we'll see how it goes. Thank you so much for listening once again. You know what I'm going to say. So here I am. I'm going to say it. Put in that movie tonight. One that you enjoy. If you had yourself a, uh, you know, it's Monday for me. And uh, I had sort of, and Mondays are just Mondays. You know how it is. It's just, God. You know, through the day. So I got through the day. It is okay. I'm going to be going downstairs here in a second. I'm going to make the kids some dinner. Just, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. My wife's good at that stuff. I'm not. It's interesting. I wish I was better at it. But, you know what? It's a, it's a spaghetti night. Spaghetti and meat sauce. Okay? That's what I'm going to do. I'm getting hungry. My stomach's starting to growl here. You know, I'm in my little room. I'm, I'm warm. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm hungry. So, I'm ready to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Have a good one.